Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Mick and Jake. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Mick. Welcome back to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. I'm joined, as usual, by fellow iOS developer and my good friend, Jake Goodison, as well as the only returning panelist from Season 5 and recent Instagram hire, Greg Hyo. Welcome back, Greg. Hey, Mick and Jake. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. No problem. Now, you know the score by now. You've done this twice before. I've put 20 minutes up on the clock, so the floor is all yours. All right. Well, my job this season is to bring the iOS platform perspective here and talk about the changes and advancements to iOS that were announced at WWDC this past week. So for those following along at home, I just want to suggest that the order to watch things in is probably the keynote, you know, to get the big picture. Platform State of the Union, still the big picture, but in a slightly more technical lens. And then since I'm focusing on iOS, next for me would be what's new in Cocoa Touch. And then between those three sessions, you should have a good idea of what to do next. So you can kind of branch off and then watch whatever interests you based on what you saw at those, like what's new in animations, beginning Siri kit, and so on. And so starting from there, I just want to mention on another podcast I listened to, the hosts were doing a bit of a retrospective, and they were linking what came out at WWDC with what happened in the future. So for example, when we got size classes and flexible layout, then that maybe led to bigger phones, and then improved import statements in Objective-C and ARC might have hinted at Swift and so on. So what I want to talk about in these 20 minutes is to take sort of a big picture look at what was announced for iOS and think about what the overall theme of iOS at WWDC was and then kind of use that to frame our discussion of some of the specifics and maybe a little prediction about what's coming in the future. So in the keynote, they talked about the 10 great new features of iOS. And then in the platform state of the union, they had a ton of more of cool stuff to talk about in iOS. But since we only have 20 minutes here and we can't cover it all, but let me start by asking the two of you first, what would you say was the overarching theme of the changes to iOS this year? So if you had to sum it up in one word, what would that one word be? And I can go first if you'd like, since I've thought about it already. But Mick, Jake, do you have um, some thoughts on that? Well, I think the, oh, the word I would choose, one word, is iteration. Hmm. Because for me, although a lot of people, uh, although Apple delivered what a lot of people hoped it would, in things like improved notifications or Siri kit. They're not huge changes in, or shifting in paradigms or any sort of level anywhere near when we went transitioned from iOS 6 to iOS 7. You know, there's no sort of dramatic changes. It just looks like this. they've iterated on what was good, what, what had a solid foundation and made that better and then removed some of the stuff that perhaps they've introduced more recently that it didn't quite work. Uh, so I think iteration for me would be would be the word. Okay, cool. How about you, Jake? You know, I I can't do it in one word, but uh, <laughs> I I think um, like what I'm thinking in my head is like walled garden. So like the, the expanding walled garden, right? Uh, so okay. we're still kind of in the in the box they want us to be in, but we're they keep pushing the the boundaries of that box um, farther every year. But it's never. I mean, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, but the specifically with Siri. Um, mm. What I wanted was to be able to use Siri in any app I wanted, and that's not what I got. Um, even though we did get, you know, ex- a lot of extension in Siri, which is great, and I and I believe I understand why, and I think it does make sense from Apple's perspective. But I'm still not in one of their categories, and so I still have to wait before I'm going to be able to use Siri in any meaningful way. 
Yeah, yeah. That was kind of my thought on it too. And the word I settled on was, I kind of had two as well, but the word I settled on was integration. And kind of as a side note was that the more technical term would be extension. So I think there was a ton of stuff announced, like um, improvements in interface builder for adaptive UI, and there were Swift overhauls of APIs like Core Graphics and GCD, and even Core Data improvements, which was kind of cool. But I think the biggest feature that they announced that I want to talk about is the new extension points that let our apps integrate into the system with things like Siri. Um, I think widgets are a good example, right? They seem to have dropped the name today extensions, as they used to be called, and now widgets are on the lock screen, notification center, when you 3D touch your app icon, and so on. So Apple really wants our apps to, uh, like you said, Jake, not just be in a wall, like, like in a sandbox, their own little walled garden, but they want them, they want them to be part of the operating system and to be more prominent in the lock screen and places like that. Um, so I think building extensions as part of our apps was maybe less common before. Some apps did have today extensions. Some people had WatchOS or WatchKit 1 extensions. But now it seems like almost a necessity to have a widget, possible Siri in there, maybe have a message app bundle and so on. So I think this whole integration of apps into the into the operating system is sort of a big thing. And so that's what I think is the biggest feature that was announced that I want to talk a little bit about. So why don't we just start with notifications, let's say, and having sort of a richer experience in notifications. And it's not just sort of some text and a couple of buttons anymore, but now you can have like a custom view in your notification. It's still non-interaction only, but if you have uh, an alert pop up and say, hey, it's time for your meeting, if you have like a calendar app, you can also present a view with, um, let's say, a map to say where your meeting is or with the faces of the other people you're meeting and so on. So I think having these richer notifications is really cool. And uh, it's sort of another extension point to say, like early days in notifications, you could just get some text and say, here's the message payload, that's it. And then eventually they said you can add a couple of custom actions. And now it's like you can customize the view and have like a lot of space to render some stuff. So I think that's pretty cool in terms of notifications. Have you guys looked into that stuff at all? I, I haven't. I haven't looked into it in the context of iOS as we get mm. into what I'm going to talk about later. I have done some in the new notifications that, that are watch specific mm. or, uh, or some of the changes are made on the watch rather specific yeah. to notifications, but I haven't looked in any of the iOS stuff. Only what we've seen in the keynote. On, I did like what I've seen in the keynote. A lot of this feels very familiar though. I spent last summer with uh, Android. So I was running... We were, we were working oh, okay. on a lot of books, obviously, yep. last summer. Greg, you'll probably remember that. And, um, Very fondly, yes. And because we needed to get a you know a running start, I installed. I did something that I don't usually do, and I installed I the like the beta of iOS and watchOS on my primary devices, mm-hmm. which meant that. Um, I wanted something else to use as a phone that could be relied upon to work as <laughs> I wanted it to work. So I went out and bought a Moto X, which is a really good phone, by the way. And it was running the latest Android. Uh, I can't remember which one that was at the time. M, maybe, whatever M is. Um, mm. And a lot of the stuff that we've seen in notifications that's coming to iOS now was already available in Android. Now, I'm not saying you know, for one minute that they've just literally plagiarized what was already there. It's just that the experience on Android was already much richer than what we had on iOS. So it's great to see that they're now bringing some of that capability across to iOS. So the um, the gap between the two platforms, just in the context of notifications, 
you know, is a lot smaller than it was this time 12 months ago. Yeah, for sure. I think um, you mentioned the watch, and maybe you'll talk about that a little bit later. A little bit more later. The cool thing about this is that when I used to wear my Apple Watch, that the notifications were like the number one bit of interaction for me. Right? I would very rarely launch apps, and all of my interaction with the apps when I did have them installed was with the notification. And I feel like this coming to iOS and saying. In your notification, you can now have a little custom view and show something. That's sort of a big deal in saying a lot of people might interact with your app now on iOS, maybe exclusively in the notification. Like that world seems possible now where you could just never launch the app and just, you know, use the, not- use the rich notification all the time. And so I think that's a pretty big deal. I think push notifications are a big way for apps that need that kind of thing for you to kind of reach out to your users. And so having more control over the notification payload, uh, like they have the service extensions, and now with the um, custom views that you can have in notification, you can really customize it now. I think that's something that developers will have to pay attention to. Now that there's a view involved, I mean, there's going to be a design element to your notifications, but I think that's pretty cool and another cool extension point. The other thing I wanted to talk about then, if we move on, was Siri, which I think uh, Jake mentioned earlier, and I think it's a big addition. It's unfortunately doesn't cover all of the use cases. They have it down to seven, six and a half, let's call it. So it's VoIP calling, messaging, sending and receiving payments, photo search, which seems very strange to have something specifically for searching photos, but there it is. Booking a ride, workouts, and then there's one extra one that people forget about, which is CarPlay only, and that's adjusting the climate and radio for your, um, for your car. So if you're in one of those groups, and that's great, you can implement Siri, but... I think I can kind of understand why Apple did it, because if you look at the way the API works, it's a little bit, not complicated, but there's several steps, right? Because Siri, Apple will handle the parsing, and they'll say, okay, I think they want, I think the user wants to, you know, book a restaurant, and I think that this is the place they want to go to, and I think this is what they said, and I think they mentioned two people that they want to invite, and I think they mentioned the time, and then they will give you a, uh, they'll build something called an intent out of it, and say, okay, I think they want to book a ride, this is where they want to go at around this time, and they might have four people with them, and they'll give that to you, your app, and say, can you handle this, yes or no? Does this look like something you can do? And then it's up to your app to sort of parse those bits of data and say either, yes, I can handle this, or you can also say sort of a maybe. You can say, yes, I can handle this, but I didn't quite get the location. Could you ask the user again, please? And I think that's where Siri will say, you know, I didn't quite get that. Where did you want to go again? And it'll ask a follow-up question to the user, and then they can specify, and Siri will come back. And then once you have said, yes, I can totally handle this, here's how I'm going to do it. So if you're a ride-sharing app, you would say, I'm going to call a car for this many people from this location to this location, and you tell Siri, this is what I want to do. And then Siri will go back to the user and say, you know, okay, I will book a car from here to here, and so on and so on. And then the user still has to say yes, and then you have to confirm it, and then you go ahead and do it. So there's a couple of steps and back and forth in between. And as you imagine, you have to be very fast about it. I think in the docs, Apple's always like, please don't you know, make a really complicated call to the network and take a long time because it'll, you know, it's a bad experience for the user. I can definitely see in terms of parsing and those steps. And if you look at the API docs for, I saw an example for booking a restaurant, which is not quite on the list, so I'm not sure, but there is a API for... IN book restaurant reservation intent uh, that I was looking at as an example. And this one has like booking date, restaurant, party size, potential guests. And so there are very specific properties on there. And the other ones are very similar. 
And so I can see why Apple said, we have to pick a subset of these. We have to make them really, really well structured and give these particular endpoints. And it can't just be free form like, you know, hey, Siri, I feel like doing this in Mix app and then just kind of hand that over to you. This is like, nope, these are the exact fields that you're going to get. And you have to process each field sort of in turn and tell Siri, um, for example, if there's a date and the number of people, Siri will call call you on those particular fields and you have to say yes or no, whether you understood it or whether you need more information or whether you didn't understand it. And then it'll kind of go from there. So even if your app isn't in one of those six and a half categories, I think it's still worth looking at and saying, okay, this is the kind of thing that they're going to do. And I just hope that in the future they'll you know expand it out to other other needs. So Jake, you had mentioned that none of them fit into sort of what you would do. Is there something that you you're looking for, like you're, something that your app does that you hope Siri comes to, and sort of how, how, how do you think that might be structured in the future? Yeah, so I've got, um, basically what I want is a, like a reference text search Siri hmm. function. So it's okay. like, look up, this, look up this entry in this dictionary or in this, in this encyclopedia, or, you know, you have a reference text and you want, I mean, and that's not particularly com- complex, right? Like yeah. that, that wouldn't be hard for them to implement. They've just decided it's not priority yet. So um, just one question I had as you were describing the interaction with the API, it, it sounds like at no point is your app launched. It sounds like it's all just like notification extension stuff that's that's happening in that case. Is that right? I believe so. Um, I'm probably mixing okay. it up. I might be mixing it with other ones, but they did say, you know, make sure you have a shared framework with all of the code that you okay. need. And if you have any uh, resources that you might need, although I'm not sure why, but make sure to have that in a separate like a shared container with all of your assets and so on. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do believe it is It is like any other extension. It just spins up the extension, which in theory will be more lightweight than your app. And then your extension can have a sh- some shared code and a shared container with your main app. But yeah, your main app won't actually start up until I think afterwards if it needs to, to actually do the thing. The other, the other thing besides um, reference text that I really want is to be able to, be able to tell um, Overcast or whatever podcast player to play a podcast. Yeah, the same way you can ask for a music, right? You can ask for a piece of music to get played. I, I would love to be able to tell it to play a podcast. Yeah, I mean, now that they introduced uh, CallKit and your VoIP calls and your video call apps can sort of act like first-class calling apps, then, I mean, that's part of Siri. But yeah, music playback, maybe it's because, I don't know, Apple's like, oh, we have our own music player. Nope, you don't need to use any other third-party ones. But yeah, <laughs> yeah simple play-pause controls would have been, I think, pretty easy. And I think when... I feel like we've talked about Siri API on this podcast, maybe, or maybe I've heard it on other ones, and that seemed like a really easy one to do because there are set commands, right? Play, yeah. pause, next, previous, uh, find this particular song and give a name, right? Yeah. So I mean, that's so. I, did did either of you guys listen to the the talk show with John Gruber, uh, the one he did with Craig Federighi and um, Phil Schiller this year? No, I didn't know that was out yet. I had checked a few days ago and I didn't see it yet. Yeah, so he specifically asked them about this issue with Siri and why is it why is it boxed into these you know six and a half domains, mm-hmm. and and Craig uh, Fegarigi says like we want basically the thing is they want to have a very consistent experience in terms of quality. So every time you use Siri, it works at the same level, and that's why this is like so that's why it's not just open ended because you'd have some things that would do really well and other things it would completely fail on. And so we're just going to carve out these domains. And, he, you know, he clearly indicated there's lots more to come. This is just what we're starting with. 
and he was very open. Like he was very open about why, and he was very open about that. So I mean, all of our kind of conjecture about why it is this way is is ex- like he's confirmed it's exactly right. It's it's this idea that you basically they're just cutting up these pieces one at a time, and you know, doing all the intelligence of being able to take take this kind of open ended dialogue and turn it into a structured, uh, just what you just said, Greg, a structured object. But the th- couple of things that you and I you just mentioned, you know, media playback, reference search, those should be easy. So hopefully. Those will be the next ones I get. I mean, that's what I want. So, yeah. uh, you know, the, obviously the, the number of possible domains is is really large. And I'm sure there's stuff that I'm always going to be like, well, it'd be nice to be able to do Siri for this. And we'll never get it just because it's too, too, you know, too small of a domain. But anyway. Yeah. Mostly I just hope that we get these advancements in point releases and we don't have to wait another year until iOS 11. But I guess we'll see. We'll see what they roll out as, uh, as the months go on. Jake Barron's had put a tweet out saying if there were any domains that people were particularly interested in to file a radar and they would all be looked at. So perhaps that oh, that's good to know. Yeah. No, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that for those two things I just mentioned. <laughs> I really want, right now. Yeah. You would, I really want that. Well, you, I mean, obviously you, you've sort of said there that, you know, Craig explained why they've gone with these six, six and a half domains, but you would have thought that, as you said, then some sort of textual search into, document apps or you know if they've done photo search which is a weird one as, as you rightly yeah. said greg but yeah. you know a lot of people or a lot of apps create documents and then most of those do- documents are usually text-based so you yeah. would think having and the the functionality is already there because they gave us the ability to add our custom documents into spotlight search yeah last year so you would think like say, it would be a very small yeah. step siri you? doesn't do the tech the search right like siri doesn't search the index right no it would have that's going to say because there were core spotlights and you can continue app searches within your app now like once your app launches and i was gonna i was just thinking maybe that already works if you have your stuff indexed with spotlights and then if you say hey siri find something i should check on that then it would (laughs) actually find that index i don't know that's maybe something to look up if that doesn't work that would it really should because again so easy and it's like you say it's already the index the structure data is already there in core spotlight yeah Yeah. that's what i was gonna say maybe this is maybe this is already there as like a stealth feature we'll have to look i'll have to look into that um all right well i think that's siri let me just before my time runs out just mention there are a whole lot of other extension points like message apps which again are a separate extension uh, sticker packs, which are something else. Some improvements to custom keyboards, if you wrote one of those. And um, things like the service extension to push notifications, which I briefly mentioned, and call kit. So there's a whole lot of new extension points to your app. But I think one of the also, one of the other overarching APIs or classes that you should look into is NS user activity, which if you did any watch stuff or handoff between uh, Mac and the phone, then that's probably something you've looked at already. But there are a few new properties and things on NS user activity to just let the system know what's going on. So it's almost like a reverse extension point, sort of, where if the user's looking at a map, then you would say, hey, user activity, I happen to be looking at a map. And then iOS can use that to sort of inform other apps. Like if you go into the Maps app or something, it'll say, hey, you were just looking at this location, but in you know your own app. And so I think that's another kind of stealth extension point, whereas if you put NS user activity all over your app, then someday in the future, uh, iOS might use that to, um, you know, send signals to other apps. So that's another thing to, to look at. So I just want to wrap up by saying that I think there were a lot of UI kit improvements in iOS 10. Again, there's things like collection view performance boosts. Uh, we got a whole bunch of new color APIs and so on. 
But I think the most exciting part, as I mentioned, was the advance in extensions and extension points. So we've already had today extensions, we've had photo extensions already, and the integration that we get with iOS gets more and more deeper with things like Siri and messages and Spotlight. So I think this signals a sort of shift in Apple's thinking to show us how the platform has matured enough and they feel like apps don't need to be completely sandboxed away as they used to be in that own little, their own little private walled gardens, but where you can now reach out to some selected endpoints, very limited endpoints, of course, but that's sort of Apple's way. And I hope that as time goes on, the number of extension points, new Siri intents will just increase over time. But I think that's definitely something to watch for in the future. All right. Thanks, Greg. That was fantastic. I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, before we move on to mixed topic, uh, we're going to take a short break and hear about the sponsor for this episode. Hired is the platform for the best iOS developer jobs. Candidates registered with Hired receive an average of five offers on the platform, all from a single application. Companies looking to hire include Facebook, Uber, and Stripe. With Hired, you get job offers and salary and or equity before you interview, so you don't have to waste your time interviewing for jobs you might not end up wanting. And of course, it's totally free to use. Plus for you, our listeners, you will receive a $2,000 bonus from Hired if you find a job through their platform. Just for signing up using the show's exclusive link, hired.com forward slash Ray. Thanks again to Hired for sponsoring this episode of the RayWendlet.com podcast. All right, Mick, your time starts now. I'm passing it over to you. Okay, well, I wanted to continue with the WWDC uh, theme since it's all still fresh in our minds and there'll be people listening to the podcast that want to get our take on, on some of the announcements. But I wanted to focus on, rather than iOS, uh, watchOS and the changes that, that are coming with watchOS 3. Now, if you're a long-time listener to the podcast, you remember that when they first announced the watch, I got very excited and then we got that early release to what was known at the time as WatchKit, um, and it was a you know it was part of iOS, and it was done as an extension, and we we put out the first WatchKit by tutorials. But once we finally got our hands on the the hardware, because obviously all that was done with the the simulator and, and Xcode, because nobody had access to hardware at that point. When we got our hands on the the hardware in April last year, at least de- from a developer point of view, you know it was it was a little bit underwhelming, and then. They announced, you know, WatchOS 2 at WWC last year. And again, they shipped that in September around the same time as, as iOS. And they promised things like native apps and it will be more responsive and there were some cool new features. And yet again, once we got our hands on the SDK, um, it was once again a little bit underwhelming and didn't really bring around the improvements that we were hoping for. Now, unfortunately, I don't I don't even have to watch anymore. I sold my watch. Greg, you hinted... <laughs> Uh, in your part then that you no longer wear your watch you probably I mean I don't know whether you still got it have you still got it I still have it I do not wear it very often yes. okay okay and um Jake do you still have yours I do have it do you wear it I do so I I quit wearing it for a while um and then I started working out more and so I started wearing it okay again. so you're using it for the the fitness aspect yes okay that's so that's actually I- me too when I go for a run I do put it on and that's about it Okay, so, but out of the three of us, we've got one who still wears it, one who's got one doesn't wear it, and one that sold it. Right, so <laughs> we've got a good mixture of an audience then to open up this discussion. So first off, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to cover a few of the high-level changes that they bring into WatchOS 3. And a lot of these were well-received by the audience when they announced them in the keynote and then again in the what's new with WatchOS 
session. And then I'm gonna, I have got a question, a philosophical question um, about the direction of the platform, but we'll get onto that in a minute. So the biggest thing to come out of WWDC for watchOS 3 was this whole faster app launches. Now, obviously one of the biggest problems that we've had with the platform since its launch was that you would tap an app and you'd get a little spinner and sometimes you would wait 10, 15 seconds before the app appeared. Sometimes it wouldn't appear at all because the the timeout for the screen, which I think is around 30 seconds, would kick in before the app had finished launching and it just got incredibly frustrating. And then, you know, when you talked to people about how they use their watches, as again, as Greg was saying before, they wish they'd shifted more towards relying on glances and notifications than actually using apps because most of the time the apps didn't even launch. And yet, obviously, as developers, many of whom have worked on watch apps, we put a lot of effort and time into building these these watch apps and they work fine on the simulator. But because it's a simulator rather than an emulator, you don't get a feel for how that works until you actually run it on the device. And the, uh, often the experience on device was, was much different to how it ran in the simulator. So Apple have obviously taken stock of this and you know taken on board all that feedback and done a lot of work to increase... It's not increasing the time that it takes for your app to launch. That, that It's a little bit of a, a white lie um, because what they're actually doing is for a certain number of apps and these are prioritized, they're actually just keeping your, ma- your app running in memory. Um, so when you come to launch it the next time, they just bring it forward from memory and it feels much quicker, much snappier, but it's actually been there all along. And one of the ways to do this is they, they, they've got rid of glances in watchOS 3 and they've replaced it with a dock, uh, much like we have on OS 10, uh, or a bit like, it's a bit more like the app switcher, I suppose, on iOS. Um, and you can keep up to 10 apps in there and those can be assigned in the iOS app that you the, the companion iOS app or you can do it directly on the watch and then it will also on top of that keep any app that isn't already in the dock that you've just recently launched in the dock for quick access for up to eight minutes after you've launched it so you can you can get back to that and then if the if you're regularly using an app and it's not in the dock uh, then it presents a big button saying add to dock and then you can get it in the dock. What The, the way that it does this is, as I said, it's, it's very similar to the, the switch on IRS and, and it uses it actually uses very similar snapshotting technology. So this is where as your app is about to be pushed to the background, the system will ask you to provide a snapshot of, of what that data, of, of how your uh, UI looks at that point in which, and then you can, you can hand that off and that's what's displayed in the dock. But one slightly different aspect of watchOS, you may be able to do this on iOS now, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, is that you can actually routinely and regularly update these snapshots. So every time somebody goes into the dock, your snapshot is always showing the most recent and up-to-date information for that p- particular view that you've decided to snapshot, which is, which is a big advantage because then there's no obvious visual difference between how your app appears in a dock and then how it appears once it's launched and that transition should be should be seamless and they're doing this through background tasks so again prior to watchOS 3 your app didn't run in the background once it had gone it had gone there was no way to wake up your app you you might remember we've talked about watch connectivity on the show before you could wake the iOS app from the watch but you couldn't do that going the other way you can now do that um, and then application refresh and snapshot refresh background tasks have been added so you can actually 
whilst your app is sort of living in memory, what but it is still in the background, you can you can still have things happening to make sure that it's it's up to date. One of the other ways that they are deciding or prioritizing which apps to keep in memory is is also by associating it with a complication. So if your app provides a complication and uh, the user or the wearer of the watch has decided to put your complication on their watch face, then even if your app isn't in the dock and or you know the, the wearer is assigned 10 other sort of filled up all those positions in the dock, your app will still remain in memory because the system decides, well, okay, if it's important enough that the wearer wants to put their complication on their watch face, then obviously we need to keep that in memory. Um, and then one new aspect or one new interaction around complications is that you, when you tap on a complication, now it will actually bring that app forward and again in a really sprightly and quick fashion so it feels so the whole you know experience of using apps feels much much better than it than it has done previously uh so this you know this, this has been the main theme that's come out of the, the watch os3 announcement's been a lot written about this uh so far people sort of saying you know believe the hype these are the guys that have that put the beta on their on their hardware already uh which is really good but i was just wondering if if sort of the ship has sailed for the platform now, that was the sort of philo- philosophical question I wanted to ask you because we've had two almost failed attempts at this platform now, and you know the first time everybody had a lot of motivation to go in and deliver you know a really rich app, and sort of the the SDK was really restrictive and the experience was terrible, and then some some of those will have made another attempt last year when they, they announced watchOS 2 with again significant improvements over what we had previously but again did not t- perhaps taken it far enough and again p- you know developers were disillusioned wearers were disillusioned and I'm just wondering now now it looks like they've actually got to a point where you know it will be a a viable app platform rather than just a, a really good platform for for quick notification access where they're, they're going to have difficulty reattracting developers and re-engaging users I think it I mean I think it might be a little slower than they'd like but I think if it if it works the way it's advertised which as you say so far people that have played with it and I haven't but so far people that have played with it says yeah it pretty much works the way they showed it in the keynote I think if that's true I think developers will come back and I think users will come back it just might be slower than it would have been had they not had a couple of years of disappointment I mean one thing that that the I've still got questions around about this whole quicker app launch is everything that I've read and everything that's been talked about so far has been all about sort of keeping an already launched app sprightly and, you know, quick to return. So if you've got it in your dock, it's always in memory. You know, like, oh, if you've got a complication on your watch face, the, the corresponding app that's providing that complication is always in memory, which is great. But if I go back to the the home screen and I launch an app that isn't that I don't have a complication on my watch face and isn't in the dock how fast does that launch are we back to 10 15 30 seconds <laughs> or you know I've done some improvements around that because that's the one thing that none of this talks about right and I'd be willing to bet that the answer is yes because if, if it was faster I'm guessing they would have said something about it. yeah it does seem like they're They've said, all right, so we, we can't speed everything up, so we got to do sort of the 80-20 rule, or maybe even more extreme than that, and say, what are the 20% of apps that are used a lot? Let's totally make that launch like instantaneous, 
And then the other 80, 90% of apps that people have installed and never use, well, we're going to get the old behavior. I mean, I sure hope that they sped that up a little bit, but I can't imagine they could have sped that up by that much to mention, which is a shame because they did kind of make fun of it during the, uh, was it the keynote, the platform yeah. city union, where they yeah. made fun of yeah. the, how long it takes. How long and it if takes. people are still going to get that for some apps, I feel like they maybe shouldn't have poked fun of that too much. But I do feel like it's almost impossible to say every app is to, every app is going to launch faster, even from a cold start. But um, I think I, haven't, I, yeah. I don't think people are going to going to launch more than ten apps. I, I mean, they certainly don't now because they don't launch any third party apps <laughs> to start with. <laughs> but but I mean, people you, you people even on your even on your iPhone. I mean, I, I would guess that the top. 10 apps that you use on your iPhone constitutes, I don't know, 90, 95% of the time, maybe more than that you spend yeah. on the phone. Yeah. So basically it'll just mean pick 10 apps, practically pick 10 apps that you want to use on your watch and stop there because the experience of the 11th is going to be so terrible <laughs> that it's not worth it, but pick 10 and it'll be, it'll be beautiful. Right. Well, yeah, I think those I'm, 10 will be like really, really Awesome, and those are the ones that you'll switch between all the time. So I think Apple does have some kind of analytics, and they know that, yes, people only use, like, actually use maybe three apps on their phone, and they only use, like, a couple of the glances, and so it's well within the number that they can keep in memory. I'm, I'm glad you've, uh, you just mentioned glances there, because glances are out. Glances are, are gone now. No more mm-hmm. glances on WatchOS 3. They've been they replaced. were never very glance-like, though, to begin <laughs> with, were they? If you... If, if you sort of spoke to people, especially around WatchOS 2, uh, you, you sort of said it earlier, Greg, you know, you relied or you used your watch mainly for interacting with notifications because it's very good at that. Mm-hmm. The sort of next interaction beyond notifications was glances. A lot of people use glances. If you did a glance and, and it was done correctly, and, you know, one of the glances that I used quite often when I did wear my watch was the carrot weather one because it was it was really good. It worked as expected. It was always up to date. Um and it showed maybe 60, 70% of the information that I got in the app. So by having that glance, it meant that I never had to really open the app that often. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they've done is they've, because they're now giving you this snapshotting technology, you, you, that sort of is replacing the idea of a glance. So you've got the dock, and you can see the snapshots of each of the app in the dock. And it's up to you as a developer what you put in that in that. Um, snapshot. It doesn't. They made a big point of this in the what's new in WatchOS three uh, session is that you don't have to snapshot the UI as it is when your app goes to the background. You can put any display on there at all. And I think the example they give was um, it was a diabetes app and it was showing the blood sugar level. Um, but then when they launched the app, like that was the main. That was all that was shown on the snapshot, and it was massive. And then as they launched the app, they transitioned it into like showing more information. And they had this nice little animation where what was appearing on the glance like shrunk down and moved into the top left corner. And they showed this graph of, you know, like, of your blood sugar level over time. You can show more um, than what you know um, you would do if you just took a snapshot of your UI when the app was was sent to the background. So it's almost providing like dual functionality, which is which is probably quite good. But you're right, Apple probably do, you know, it's not an arbitrary number. These 10 apps have probably done some analytics on the, the number of apps. But as you said, Jake, perhaps they can't rely on that too much because people just don't use apps uh, yeah. because of a really poor experience. 
one thing you haven't talked about yet, Mick, that I'm I want to know a little bit more about is the is the isn't there a way to swipe now between watch faces really easy? Yeah, left to right. Okay, um, so. I have a list of things where I'm like, this is what I want the watch to do. And obviously, number one is I want apps to launch in a reasonable amount of time. So they solve that, which I think is humongous. The, the next thing that actually does work pretty well for me on my watch is the, is the um, complications. But the, but the limitation of that is that you've got to choose the ones. Like, you can only pick so many. And, and you've got to use that utility watch face that shows the, like the, has the most slots. Or you just don't get enough, right? And so the ability to actually swipe through watch faces really quickly means you can create two or three different watch faces with two or three different sets of complications, or maybe 10 or whatever you want to do. And suddenly those become really easy to get to. So now it, make, it solves that complication issue where it's like, I love the complications. I just want to be able to have more of them or I want, you know, I want the bigger ones from more than one app or whatever. And so I feel like they solve that. And then the the third thing that always bugged me is the only app I can use when I'm working out is Apple's workout app. Like it'll do heart rate and accelerometer and all that, and, you know, GPS, all that stuff. I can only use their app. And apparently they've added that too, right? So yeah, third-party so, workout apps. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so um, with full access to all the, the sensors or the same sensors that the, the built-in app has access to. But just so to- for me, this this change just in software is like a hardware level leap where suddenly I can do most of the like most of the obvious things where I'm like, oh, I really want to be able to do this. I really want third party workout. I really want this. I really want that. I got like everything I wanted just in a software update. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. I mean, as a user, they did sort of allude to the fact that by having this easy watch face access and by keeping any app that is displaying a complication in memory is almost another way to get more than 10 apps because yeah. if you so so the example they gave was you know you might have one watch face for the daytime and it might show your calendar you know so you've got your upcoming meetings it might show the weather but then sort of as you get in you know as you leave work and you're on your way home you swipe to your more casual uh watch face which would perhaps show some personal information or you know mm. um information from from non work related apps in which case, as soon as that watch face comes into into view and those complications are, are there, the apps are loaded in the background. It's almost like different modes for your watch then, right? As you switch between day and night and weekend or whatever, or workout mode or something, right? Pretty much, yeah. So, and, and they did sort of say, you know, that was not, they didn't quite make it like you were gaming the system, but it was one way to sort of have more apps available than what just using the 10 in the dock would give you, which I think was a, a really good um, you know, way to get around that. They have added some new watch faces. I was a bit disappointed that they didn't give us the ability to add our own watch faces, uh, but they did give us some more, including Mini. So everybody that likes Mickey Mouse. We've now got Minnie Mouse, um, and they've also made some some changes to some of the existing watch faces to allow for complications. So Jake, you were saying, you know, you want more choice and being able to display more complications. Some of the faces that previously didn't display complications, like the the photo one now can display complications so that's pretty cool but i am conscious that you know we're running out of time now i've only got 20 minutes so i just want to give some other stuff that i thought was really good that they were finally bringing to the platform uh first off is wk crown sequencer and wk crown delegate now this these two one obviously is delegate as the name implies the other is a class that will give you information about the digital crown uh allow you to interact directly with the digital crown so this is really good the crown delegate will give you 
feedback as it's been interacted with and the crown sequencer class will allow you to ask for information about the crown like its current position is it slowing down is it speeding up all that kind of stuff which is which is really good uh, another big change is the uh, introduction of gesture recognizers so we now have native gesture recognizer support just like we do on on ios and these include long press pan swipe and tap so before the only times you could interact was hooking up an event for a button that kind of stuff uh, but now you've got full control um, via gesture recognizers, which is great. Another big change we, was user notifications. So they've introduced a new framework called user notifications framework. And these allow you to create notifications that only ever reside on the watch, which is further creating this disconnect between the watch and the paired phone. In you know, WatchKit as it was known or WatchOS 1, you always the, the two only ever worked in tandem. Um, you always needed your phone near you to sort of interact with your watch. Uh, then in watchOS 2, they, they, they separated them a little. They gave you access to known Wi-Fi networks so you could talk to the internet directly rather than having to go via a watch. So with the, you know, they were already starting to pull the two apart and sort of um, more, uh, it would be lo- looser coupled than it was prior. And again, they've, they've increased this even further now so that you can now create and schedule notifications on the watch itself, which will then still trigger, even you know if you forget your phone and it's at home or, or your watch isn't connected to a network or anything like that, which is really cool. So uh, I guess I'll cut you off there, uh, Mick. Um, that was great. I'd love to hear about the watch. I'm super excited. Again, as a user, I'm super excited about all that stuff. Um, we're going to wrap for this episode. Thanks again for joining us, Greg. It was great to have you back. Uh, thanks again for the invitation. Uh, as always, if you have any feedback on the podcast or comments, Please get in contact uh, via podcast at raywenderlich.com. And don't forget to leave your reviews on iTunes. We've got a a handful of new reviews this week. Thank you so much for those. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you all next time. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the raywenderlich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.